All right, wonderful, wonderful. So good to be together again tonight as we continue to look at, at truths about our tongues. We're at week number five here. Wow, yeah, we're just marching right along, uh, looking at God-centered affirmation uh, tonight. And uh, a topic that's been helpful to me, and if we just kind of think back a little bit where we've come from uh, so far, especially most recently on our series together about the tongue, we've been reminding ourselves about the importance of putting off sin, and in this class, putting off the sinful tongues, the sins of the tongue, and putting on a righteous replacement, right? Putting on righteous, edifying, kind, redemptive, transformed words, that don't speak for our purposes, but for God's, right? And if you remember, that's uh, something that comes from our heart, right? As our hearts are transformed to be more like Christ, we will speak more like Christ. Does that make sense? We not only act like him, but we speak like him. We, we came to find out acting like him is very important, but oh, speaking like for him is critical. It's important, isn't it? Because it speaks of what proceeds from the heart, Right? What, what, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Were you, were you reminded of that this morning in the sermon this morning? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I was too. I, uh, Clay has a way of bringing in something very important. No grumbling or complaining, but I feel very encouraged to obey and follow at the end. I don't feel just spanked, but I'm like, okay, I'm motivated. Uh, I trust you were this morning as well. And when we talk about putting off and putting on, we're just talking about really about repentance, aren't we? We're, we're turning from sin and we're putting on Christ, putting on a transformed tongue. And if, if really, if you want to think of uh, a statement here that kind of summarizes this, you, maybe a, 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 a purpose statement. You guys work for organizations or maybe go to school and there's a purpose statement for what you do, right? This is our goal. This is why we exist. This is why we function. This is why we're here today. I have a purpose statement. Well, here's a purpose statement for your tongue from Paul. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We're talking about putting off corrupting talk. Something in the language here, in the Greek, is just putrid um, something spoiling that uh, item you open up in the Tupperware and you find out, oh, yeah, that was there way, way, way past its expiration. <laughs> no, I don't. we put those things off, corrupting talk, and we replace them and say things for building up others. We targeting our speech to glorify God and to build up others. There's, there's a horizontal glory to God I'm sorry, a vertical, <laughs> I know up, uh, I'm an engineer, yes, uh, my dad helped send a rocket to Mars, and I don't know which way it's up, yeah, the apple fell far from the tree, uh, yeah, we, 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 we speak to edify and, and, and praise our God and Father vertically, but you see here, it's for building up others to give grace to those who hear. So our redemptive tongues are not just to praise and honor Christ, but we do so by speaking edifying words to others. 
And that's what we'll be looking at tonight when we're looking at God-centered affirmation. This is one way to speak with a transformed tongue. And if you want a subtitle here, as, as it's put in a book by Sam Crabtree, it is a book called Practicing Affirmation. I would highly recommend it. It's been helpful to me and others in our fellowship that I know have read it. Now, there's a subtitle to this lesson, or the term as it's used in the book, God-Centered Affirmation, is this, God-Centered Affirmation of Those Who Are Not God. We're not just affirming the greatness and glory and wonder of God, but I'm affirming those things that appear in other people's lives that give glory and honor and praise to God. And that'll be our topic tonight as we as we look here. So if you really want to look at a key point tonight, you see that on your sheet or on the screen here. God desires to use me, that's you and me, to consistently communicate God-centered affirmations to others who display evidences of God's grace and work in their lives. God desires to use you Consistently, perpetually, on a regular basis, communicate specific things to individuals, and in this case, God-centered affirmations. And these will be, these affirmations, those who display Christ-likeness, progress in the faith, encouragement in their walk as they're exhibiting Christ-like qualities, all right? So let's just go right to a definition. What is God-centered affirmation? What are we talking about here? I don't... If I would Google God-centered affirmation or look at an old-school concordance, you're not going to see God-centered affirmation. What are we talking about? Here's my definition that I've cobbled together. It is my recognition of God's work in another person's life that I communicate specifically to them. And it's for a purpose, for the purpose of their encouragement toward greater Christ-likeness for the glory of God. What are we talking about here? We're talking about observing the lives of other brothers and sisters in Christ and specifically recognizing God's work in them. Okay? Affirmation. Now, I'm looking at all of you tonight, and I I look at you. I know many of you. Some of you I know better than others, but I'm familiar with your faces, and I watch you serve. And I can look, and I can say, I observe... Christ-like qualities in you. First of all, you're here tonight to hear the word. No one's falling asleep yet, so we're doing good. We're we're listening to the word. We're engaged with what Christ has to say, right? That's, that's, That's edifying. That's encouraging, right, to have the body of Christ assembled together. If I think through the day, I think of various ways many of you have displayed christ likeness whether you were a greeter today or working on the safety team or working in the nursery where I didn't see or over at Boundless, encouraging and, and having fellowship, and I'm, I'm observing Christ-like qualities in your life. That's observations, right? But affirmation takes this observation one step further, all right? What we're talking about here is affirmation specifically communicates your observations of the evidences of God's work And we do that specifically to the individual who's exhibiting them. And this is all for the purpose 
of encouragement. Okay? Now, we talked about encouragement recently. We are talking about a transformed tongue, didn't we? You're consoling, rousing the will of the discouraged to hopeful attitudes and actions, right? Encouragement. We understand that, that need and that, um, that, 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 that service and that ministry we can have towards others by encouraging them, especially those that are uh, discouraged and weak. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it talks about encouraging the faint-hearted. And what we're doing is we're directing them towards the future, right? To look beyond the present circumstances and to be hopeful. Encouragement. Well, affirmation, similar to encouragement, but slightly different here. It focuses on the present fruits of God's grace in their life. It's how it's evidenced, and it acknowledges that. It gives encouragement by affirming what God's doing. We know this brings encouragement, and with that, a desire to see additional fruit in the future. So if we're to continue here, um, I think the best thing to do is go to the scriptures and say, what do the scriptures say? Should you believe just Rich Brown here and what he's saying? Uh, Of course not. Let's go to the word. If you look at your um, handout there, you'll see the first like an umbrella scripture here in this area of edification. First, we're commanded that we edify others. What we're looking at here is a biblical responsibility we have. This is not, not one of those optional kind of things. It says here in Romans 15, 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Here we're talking about targeting our lives, our actions, our words in such a way that it benefits the welfare of the hearer. And the call here, really, when you look at this, is really a a call to orient our lives for the service and ministry and benefit and edification of others. And so we have a call here to look at the interests of others as Jesus did. And it's marked by edifying words of encouragement, exhortation, affirmation, with the goal of building others up. You see another passage here that you're familiar with. Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, the God-fearing women, right? And here it says... If you look at Psalm, uh, Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Interesting language. They're to be recognized. They're set apart. This whole chapter here, you're familiar with Proverbs 31. It acknowledges uh, an excellent wife as a very precious thing. I'm just going to read a few verses here as I look at Proverbs 31. You're welcome to turn over there if you would like. But in Proverbs 31, verse 10, it says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. It's a precious thing, an excellent wife. It's valued. It's treasured. Look there at verse 11 there, and I'll I'll read that for you. The heart of her husband trusts in her, 
and he will have no lack of gain. And then when you go through the rest of the verses from 12 through 27, you see her many praiseworthy activities and pursuits, her hard work ethic, staying up late at night, working hard and toiling for the good of her husband and for her children and for her family. And then verse 28 sees the response from her children. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Affirmation, right? They recognize this and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. He's affirming the goodness he sees in her, the, the, the virtuous qualities that come out, whether that's faintly or wide open like in this Proverbs 31 woman. This word for praising others means to shine or to make a show, all right? To boast, celebrate, to commend. And verse 29 says this, many women have done excellently but you surpass them all. Uh, you know, Father's Day coming around here was thinking about it. It reminded me a little bit of, you know, the gifts children give to their fathers, right? Uh, and we could probably say the same thing in Mother's Day, but I'm, I'm a dad, so I, I think of this first. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, that little statue or trophy you can get, world's greatest dad. Everyone see that before? And when I see those, or if my child would give that to me, I would, I would cherish that. I'm a, I'm a keeper. I'm a, kind of a sentimental guy, and I, I don't throw things away like that. But I often look at with a little skepticism. World's greatest dad. I remember how many million of these were made <laughs> and how many million of those are being given out to all the world's greatest dads uh, around the world. And yet this is essentially what the husband is saying of his wife. You surpass them all there's a premarital book we use here at Timberlake called Tying the Knot by Rob Green and he talks about defining the beauty of a, a husband's uh, defining the beauty of his wife with a picture of his bride that's the definition of beauty for a husband you surpass them all and the, the key stone feature, the capstone quality here of Proverbs 31.30 is this. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. God is praised and honored when we, when we extend proper praise and honor to those who exhibit Christ-like, God-like qualities like a woman who fears the Lord. Now remember our definition again. It's my recognition. This is God-centered affirmation. My recognition of God's work in another person's life that I communicate specifically to them for the purpose of their encouragement toward greater Christ-likeness for the glory of God. Now, you've read the epistles before, Paul's writings, and it's filled with God-centered affirmations. You might be shocked if you kind of use Clay's analogy and we, we retune our radar, like he said, finding foreign objects in our atmosphere. And uh, 
And this is an object that might seem foreign to you perhaps right now, but yet when we go to the scriptures, we will find many examples. Look how Paul commends Phoebe. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant at the church of Kenriai, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. Why? For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. What's Paul doing here? He's specifically highlighting the commendable service of a very specific person, of an individual godly lady. Look what he calls her. He calls her sister. He, he recognizes she loves the Lord and calls her sister. He calls her servant, an other-focused person. He calls her patron or helper of many. This word for patron or helper here is a feminine noun. It's a a female guardian or protectress who led others in providing aid with her resources. You could call Phoebe a leader of the women's ministry there in the church, caring for the needs of other women. And what does Paul do here? He affirms her service publicly, right? This is a God-centered affirmation of her service that was rendered to Paul and the church. Let's look at another example. Paul commends Priscilla and Aquila. Romans 16, 3 and 4. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Here you have a husband and wife team who are affirmed for their godly work. They provided hospitality. Aquila here, she, he shared the same, I always think of Aquila as a he, but sorry. If anyone's Aquila here, my apologies. Uh, but Aquila, he, was also a tent maker like Paul. And it testifies here in Romans 16, Paul's words, that this couple aided Paul to the point of risking their very lives for him. Anyone else give their life for us that you can think of? Who? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? They they were exhibiting this same type of self-sacrificing service. And Paul recognized that seeing the beauty of what we see in our Savior and then calling that out for all to see for their encouragement and motivation in their walk with the Lord. And Paul here, he affirms their love, their courage, their selflessness as a couple serving Christ and Paul. Look what Paul says to the Corinthians. Now, think with me. We're talking the Corinthians here, right? I don't we think we typically think of commendable things when we talk about the Corinthians, right? Many issues, many immaturities, uh, false doctrines, a very a lot of selfishness in their church. Needs were being ignored, sin that was being ignored. And Paul found room for commendation. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. He saw them following through, remembering Paul and following through on things that he had deposited 
to them and he commended them for that. Despite their many problems, it did not disqualify them from receiving commendation and affirmation. It gives us a sense of this. We're not talking about affirming God's work in other people that have arrived, right? I mean, they've got it all together. They've got their act together. We're talking about those who are in progress, and that would be 100% of us here, right? No matter where we are in our progress. Now, you know, Paul had some very difficult things to tell the Corinthians as well, if you remember. In fact, if you go to just a few verses later there, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, he says, okay? So he had to get down here to things he had to reprove and correct, and that was their abuse of the Lord's table he addressed there. Let's look at one more. Paul commends Anifacerus' household. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. 2 Timothy 1.16. So here Paul calls on the Lord to grant mercy and favor to Anisiphorus and his household and for God to meet his needs. And look again, he specifically identifies him. It's not a general praise, which would be appropriate. But here in God-centered affirmation, it's very specific. He highlights and affirms a very, very specific acts of kindness. This refreshment he received, this aid he received, this comfort. All of which benefited Paul and advanced Christ's work. God-centered affirmation. Now, perhaps... Some in here are a little skeptical, right? Have you ever sat in a service and and in part of a, a church service there is accolades given to an individual, right? Maybe praises, maybe certain commendations, maybe a little award, right? Um, and uh, there's been times in my Christian life I've looked at that and said, well, this should be all of God. Why are we even mentioning people? We are here in the worship and and, and, and honor and to give glory to God alone. He is our king. He is our master. We're just, we're just servants. All true. All true. And although commendation to an individual can be done very poorly, man-centered, we can see from what we've seen already and some other scriptures we're going to look at, that the scriptures clearly attest to the appropriate God-centered affirmation of particular individuals. So, legitimate questions. Where does praise and honor really richly belong? Where should it be focused? And we know the answer to that, right? We have to make this very clear as we talk about this topic. First of all, the chief end of man is to glorify God, Right? the one most worthy of our praise and honor. It's all about him, or we just shouldn't do it at all. Psalm 115, verse 1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We're just the clay, right? He's the potter. Number two, any person's true progress in the faith or any 
human accomplishments that are fruitful and productive for the kingdom always find its source through the grace and enablement and work of God. It is all of him. You remember Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, but, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Right? We know from John 15, apart from him, we can do nothing. He's the vine, we're the branches. Anything good really points to the one, the source of all good and fruit and advancement for the kingdom. But my third point would be this. God himself affirms and commends men. If you want to be more like God, well, start commending. Start affirming. We've talked about Isaiah 66 too, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God gives specific attention to the humble, to those who have contrition, to those who put great emphasis and trust in his revelation, his word. Don't we all, don't we all long for the words one day? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? Commendation, we look forward to that day. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it talks about the day will be uh, where our works are judged for what they are. And it says there, we'll bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and we'll disclose the purposes of the heart. For the purpose of what? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So we have to look at this topic of God-centered affirmation carefully. And, but we don't want to go in an opposite direction where we avoid it altogether because of a fear of crossing that line. We have to do it properly. We have to understand things well here. How do we keep God at the center of our worship and affirm the work in another person's life without making people the object of praise, a legitimate concern and one we should look at? And that's where we're going to go to a key passage here that I believe really helps clarify this. And this is 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 3 and 4. You'll see that on your sheet there, or we have it up here on the screen as well. Here we have, uh, in context, believers in the church at Thessalonica. They were discouraged by persecution. There was pressure. There was affliction. There was false teaching that had uh, doubts about Christ's return and when that would happen. And Paul sought to bring them godly encouragement by commending them, by giving them what, we, what we're calling tonight God-centered affirmation. Let's look at the passage. Verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 1. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And what I want to see here are four elements of God-centered affirmation, and it starts right here. Thanksgiving 
is directed first and foremost to God. That answers the question we were just talking about, the fear, the legitimate fear that's there in crossing that line and making much praise about men, but not making God the object and center of that praise. And look how Paul does that here. He says we ought always to give thanks to God. He puts praise at the forefront to God. He makes that abundantly clear. Paul's commendation starts here. God is the one to whom honor and thanks are due. Paul didn't just thank people for things as much as he thanked God for people. You get that? Paul didn't thank people for things as much as he thanked God for people. It started with God. The praise starts there. I thank God for you. I found 11 different passages that say the same thing, from Romans 1.8 to 1 Corinthians 1.4 and 5 to Ephesians 1.16 to Colossians 1.3 to Philippians 1.3 to 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, 2 Timothy 1, 3, and Philemon 1, 4. Wow. I thank God for you. Paul says it repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. So he puts God in the forefront. First important principle of God-centered affirmation. And then there's the second one here. A second element of God-centered affirmation is that thanksgiving is directed first and foremost to God, in and through which affirmation is directed toward people. You see very specifically here in verse 3, for you, brothers, right? We give thanks to God for you. Paul's affirmation of others was for the exclusive purpose here of realizing the glory of God through them. I'm going to read another passage here from that same chapter, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. Listen as I read this. To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And look at verse, think of, listen to this verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, in you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this passage, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, Paul's praying for them. He wants God to make them worthy of his calling. He wants them to fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by God's power. They had not arrived yet. They're on the road of sanctification like you and I are. Paul, though, did not wait for perfection to affirm them. Why did he pray for them? And why did he affirm them? So that God would be glorified in them. God-centered affirmation recognizes God's work in a person's life that they may see more fruit to encourage them in greater Christ-likeness. It's not to puff up. It's not to bring about pride. It's giving praise to God for how, God, how an individual exhibited Christ-like qualities in their life. To give God glory more, to put fuel on that fire. The goal is Christ-likeness, God's glory. 
making much of God through his work in men. Now, this should be profoundly encouraging for us. God using you and me to glorify him by affirming evidences of his work in others, which in turn gives even more glory to our God. I can use my speech to give God glory by affirming his work in others, ultimately for his praise. And this type of ministry doesn't require vast experience or special credentials or superior skills. It's really observing the things we observe every day when we're together and then vocalizing that to the glory of God, right? Using these four areas here we're talking about. Thanksgiving is directed first and foremost to God, in and through which affirmation is directed toward specific people. For the evidences, point number three, for the evidences of God's work in their lives. Look what Paul highlights here specifically. Your faith is growing abundantly. Their trust in God was evident. It was growing. They were making progress in their trust and dependence on God and his word. And he calls that out. He says here, the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. He calls out their love. He calls out their increasing care and love, meeting needs within the fellowship, thinking less of themselves and more of others. And he makes that clear. He brings out steadfastness and faith in persecution. They were holding on to faith, trusting in God's promises. And you see here endurance in the midst of persecution. They exhibited a heroic uh, durability in um, the persecution and trying and hard in difficulties. So Paul glorified God by commending these saints in affirming specific areas of conduct and character that made God look good. And why? It's for the purpose of encouragement. They're highlighted specifically to motivate us more to Christ-likeness. It's encouragement, isn't it? And you'll, in fact, you can see here as well, it's not just encouragement to the individual. If you look at verse 4 here, he boasted about them in other churches as well. It wasn't just them specifically, but he spoke well of them and their conduct and their ever-growing sanctification and how their faith was exhibited, and he shared that with others for their encouragement. I uh, was able to reunite with uh, a college roommate, my first college roommate I had in college, when his children started coming to here to Liberty. Um, uh, Dan LaPiccolo is his name. What, what, what ethnicity do you think is, is Dan? Uh, full-blooded Italian, LaPiccolo. Uh, we called him the Italian Stallion. Uh, he was the man. And, you know, some of you know, have heard my testimony in the new members class. When I came to college, our room was overbooked. I had two roommates. I was only supposed to have one. It was a room built for one person, and it was supposed to have two, and then we had three. It's like, oh. Oh, but God had much better plans. Um, these two persons personified Psalm 1. 
the way of the wicked, the way of the righteous. One man was one of the students. My one of my roommates was growing marijuana in the in the front in the windowsill, large plant, growing well. Uh, he, he was he was fruitful uh, in that area at least. And my other roommate walked in with a Bible. And for a Roman Catholic, you know, we don't carry our Bibles. We go to church, right? We go to Mass. <laughs> That's going a little far in my mind. When Dan and I were reunited, I thanked him. He's the first one that shared the gospel with me. It set my life in a whole different direction. Oh, I resisted for a few years. Uh, the Pope can't be wrong, and the church can't be wrong, and I love my family. They can't be wrong. And ultimately, as he persuaded and patiently loved me, I was wrong. And I had to humbly um, submit to that, and I trusted Christ. But um, when I was with Dan, I affirmed his patience and his love to me. Uh, I didn't deserve that. I wasn't a lovable guy. You know, I wasn't that neighborhood teddy bear you want to squeeze and like, uh, I'm so glad to see you, Rich. Uh, keep your distance. Uh, and in this area, I didn't really want any help. I felt I was on my way to purgatory. Um, I didn't have to be perfect. I didn't believe God required that. And I was wrong. He was truthful and yet patient and loving. And I, I share that. I thank God for you, Dan. Thank you for uh, exhibiting just these Christ-like qualities in loving me, an unlovable person at the time. And I just use that to encourage him. Yesterday I was uh, texting with Clay uh, before the message today. You know, just encourage your brother. He's, he was going to have a busy day. He taught not only in the services, 8 and 10.30. He taught boundless Sunday school as well. Busy man. No light topic either. It's just going through the spiritual gifts, speaking about miracles and healing today. And uh, knocked that one out of the park too. Wow. I said yesterday, hey, Clay, I'm praying for you. and You're preaching today. I know you have a lot on your plate. I want God to empower what you have to do. And he, he texted back. He said, Amen. I told Clay I was going to read this, by the way, right before the service. He said, amen, thank you, Rich. You are a, a sweet mentor and a kind friend. That was it. Just a text, right? Not a letter. Uh, you know, I, I look at Clay, and he, he feels more like my mentor, okay, than, than me being his. But he's such a sweet, kind, truthful person to let me know I'm an example for him and I exhibit kindness as a friend. That encouraged me. That's affirmation, right? I don't feel built up like, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm a <laughs> take on the world here, mentor rich. Uh, no, I... Maybe my antenna was just up here with God-centered affirmation, but I, I thanked Clay today for affirming and he's, he reminded me that he also read this book, right? And he's working at it too. I said, brother, that is sweet, sweet encouragement. And I thank you for that. You've received encouragement like that before, haven't you? Uh, just 
affirmations of how God's working in your life, knowing you're far, (coughs) far, far from where you need to be. And yet, you think of these Thessalonians, right? You, 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 just the example I gave you, just two examples of how I was affirmed and encouraged to continue that work of mentoring and kindness and friendliness, right? It's so easy to observe and then not vocalize it. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to observe. That's where it has to start. We have to observe these Christ-like qualities, this progress in the faith that we see amongst each other. But affirmation takes it where Paul did and says, I thank God for you, and this is why. May God continue to richly bless you as you look. This is like Ephesians 10.24, right? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's it. That's fellowship. That's godly fellowship. Engaging one another in these things. Yeah, we have our social things to talk about and other things that are that are good for the day, but hey, when it comes right down to it, we're considering how to stir up one another to love and good works. Affirmation, it's one of these critical keys, okay, to healthy, fruitful relationships. Do some of your relationships today, family, friends, brothers and sisters in the fellowship, are some of them strained or they just seem in neutral parent to child, discipler to disciple, in your small group. Those who deliver God-centered affirmation have the opportunity for flourishing their ministry with those individuals. And there's great opportunity for reviving relationships that may be stalled or going nowhere to help heal strained relationships, co-worker, a fellow believer, a parent, a child. The practice of affirmation is a way of opening doors of communication, even in the worst situation. You might think about God-centered affirmation in our fellowship. I just think about this morning. Our safety team was watching over us today. You realize that? There's a group of men here that train on a regular basis to make sure you're safe. Um, And we observe that, you know. They got the earpiece. They look rather official walking around. They're out looking, you know. They're observing. They're watching over things, right? Have you not observed that with me? Affirmation would say, I thank God for you and the protection and care you extend to me in our church. Affirmation. Right? Thank you for serving me. What a great example as Christ would serve, right? Was anyone greeted by a greeter today? Wasn't that wonderful? These smiling faces. This today wasn't as cold, but they're usually out there shivering and blue lips and making it happen here in the winter. Affirmation would go beyond observing. Thank you for making me and our visitor and our visitors feel welcome. I thank God for you. Your friendliness reminds me of Christ being a friend to us. Right? How about your children? You know, if, if you're like a children in the throes of child rearing, uh, it sometimes feels like there's a whole lot more correction <laughs> than there is affirmation going on in the home. And I would have to say my relationship would often tilt that way when our children were at home. But in 
in God-centered affirmation, you would highlight ways they've obeyed, right? Looking for ways that they've accomplished good or saying something thoughtful. You can say, I see the Lord teaching you how to be responsible. And God rewards faithfulness. Thank you for taking out the trash. Thank you for helping cleaning off your, the table today. Opportunities to affirm what God's doing as they learn to obey and take on responsibility. Maybe you have a discipleship relationship with a, a young believer. And many times it seems like there's more messes than blessings, right? It's just like it's hard and it's, there's things you're working through together for the glory of God and many sin issues, lots of challenges. And we can find areas to affirm God's work in them, to encourage them. We can say, I'm so encouraged that you did the homework that I assigned. And my prayer is that God will use that in your life, and I'm seeing evidence of that here. I see you applying a truth we just studied together. And God promises to bless doers of the word. Continue, right? You're, you're, you're affirming what they've done. We can do this with our spouses and just those who God puts in our presence. And you guys have encouraged others before. I'm speaking to the choir here, but we've all realized that we not only bless the hearer, but the one who's giving the encouragement is greatly blessed as well. Proverbs 11.25 says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. All right? Let me... uh, Share, let's switch gears a little bit and just make sure we understand what God-centered affirmation is not. There's a, we have to be careful here. We've talked about this a little bit already, where in God-centered affirmation, we can make it not very God-centered, and it becomes something very man-centered. We have to be careful of that. Let's look at a few points here. Okay, I, don't, I don't think this is on your sheet. First of all, God-centered affirmation is not flattery. And it's not manipulation. Remember we talked about the sin of the tongue, flattery, right? It's a lie disguised as an encouragement in order to receive something you're looking for, some selfish desire, a selfish motive to manipulate. And we'll use deceitful words to accomplish our, our selfish ends. And that's all in flattery. It's all under the guise of loving intentions. Well, God-centered affirmation is not flattery. It's not manipulation. God-centered affirmation is not man-centered self-esteem building. Maybe you've thought about that as we're talking about that. It is not, God-centered affirmation is not about man-centered praise or finding what's intrinsically good about another person. Why? Because we're not intrinsically good, (laughs) right? Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are wicked. Big doses of just positivity may make you feel better about yourself, but that won't send you in the right direction of desiring to be more like God. Instead, big doses of just positivity to feel better about yourself motivates you to be quite satisfied with yourself. When you affirm someone in a God-centered way, you've done that properly, you will leave not more impressed with self, but with greater encouragement to live more fully for Christ. All right? It's not about self. It's not self-esteem. It's not just positivity. It's also not just platitudes. Honesty is key. When Paul gave these words, like 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, and 4, 
They weren't platitudes. They weren't just, you know, words coming out to make others feel better about themselves, meaningless statements that aren't really true. Honesty is key. Commend what is truly commendable. Disingenuous statements don't refresh. Okay? You know, pastor may give a whale of a sermon, and you can go up to him and say, Pastor Farrell, John MacArthur has nothing on you, brother. You know, uh, I remember reading this sermon from Charles Spurgeon, and you, he's got nothing on you either, right? And uh, oh, Pastor, I'm sure, will be very gracious and kind, <laughs> and then probably gently say, I'm no Charles Spurgeon, brother, <laughs> right? Uh, and we may mean well, but we're not talking about platitudes here. We're talking about, yes, I think it's very appropriate to thank our pastors for how God used their teaching to really pinpoint things in our life, and we can thank God for that in their presence, but not with platitudes. And God-centered affirmation is not fueled by ulterior motives, okay? In other words, I need to drop the hammer on this guy, <laughs> and I'll warm up the kitchen a little bit before I bury him, right? You understand what I'm talking about? And that's not love. That's a setup, right? And just kind of butter him up before we give him a good uppercut, right? Something I really need to say, so I'm going to smooth it over a little bit and then let, her, let the hammer come down. Now, there's absolutely a place for mixing together praise with truthful, loving correction. Okay, I don't want to be, mis get, be, be mistaken here. But you want to shake off the reputation of buttering up before the axe falls. You know what I mean? Here's Dad. He's telling me how great I am. <laughs> I know what's coming. Uh, right? Uh, okay. I know there could be a place for that, but you know what I'm saying, right? Let us be known as affirmers, encouragers. Let that be your disposition, how we relate to others, looking for the good. This is what love does. It thinks the best, right? And speaks about those things to be good and edifying. We're looking for ways to build up. Is correction needed? Absolutely. Is reproof needed? For sure. I like how Sam Crabtree put it in his book about shaking off a reputation. He says, what's my reputation? Mr. Crabby Pants? Old lady battle axe? Miss nitpick? Right? Yeah, it makes you think a little bit. And I have to admit, at stages in my life, I've just been a little more critical and on the way on the side of correcting and not affirming. And I'm not saying replacing correcting. That has a proper place. But learn to practice God-centered affirmation as a regular flow of conversation. Work at gaining a reputation of someone who cares, right? Not just making sure everyone's right and, got, and has all their T's crossed and I's dotted. God's working in their life. And now affirm and look for these examples, these attributes, these evidences of their progress in the faith that they would continue in that, right? A regular flow of conversation, noticing God's work in other people's lives. And as we do that on a regular basis, it provides a wonderful platform for correcting when that is necessary. 
So let's go to our last area here. Okay, let's close with this. How do I jumpstart my personal practice of God-centered affirmation? Let's look at some things here we can close with. And first is obvious. We've got to be convinced of the mandate and practice of affirmation in Scripture, right? We're to be, we're all be about edifying. And we saw many examples in Scripture. I would encourage you. I went through the book of Second uh, Thessalonians after we read that particular passage. And I counted in this five-chapter letter 37 commendations with 17 in chapter 1 alone. I'd, I'd encourage you to do your devotions there maybe or just kind of read through that yourself and see if you can... But my, my read of that, wow, lots of commendation, lots of affirmation, lots of edifying words. It's more than correction. Be convinced of this mandate, this practice in Scripture. Secondly, take care to avoid robbing glory from God. We've talked about this, right? All glory, all honor, all praise is due to God. It's to be given to him. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so we want to carefully use our words that showcase the character of God in others. It's not self-esteem. It's not just building up and, you know, trying to see it something intrinsically good in the person. No, the glory is given to God for how they're displaying God-like qualities third don't underestimate god using you to accomplish growth in others you might look at yourself in your christian life right now and you're just you're soaking it in like a sponge right i mean i'm the disciple i'm the one being trained i'm the one being taught praise god don't underestimate god using you to affirm others don't hesitate don't hesitate to pray for god to encourage others, right? Lord, encourage so-and-so today. I can pray that. But then ask, how can I be part of the answer to these prayers that so-and-so would be encouraged? Could God use me? And insert yourself. Allow, Allow God to use you to encourage and affirm. Fourth, don't overreact to errors and false promises of secular psychology. I tried to word this as best I could, okay? (laughs) Don't show this one to Dr. Mark Hager, okay? Don't overreact to psychology, Uh, secular psychology. Yeah, you'll boot me out of here. But um, what I'm addressing here is our, what I would say, a contrarian response to things that might go a little too far, right? We're emotional people. We have feelings. We need encouragement. And psychology recognizes that. And in all the positivity and self-esteem building and everyone's a winner and everybody gets a trophy and, uh, you know, we kind of like, I don't want to be that way. And we'll go the other direction. I'm just going to correct everybody. I'm going to be Miss Krabby Pants, right, and Mr. Nitpick, and, uh, and I'm not going to be a psychology guy. Don't be a psychology guy, secular psychology. But don't go so far this contrarian pendulum that you fail to practice this wonderful ministry of encouragement in God-centered affirmation in people's lives. You know, avoid humanistic ways, but don't jump on the contrarian train and avoid these godly practices, all right? All right, don't share that one with Dr. Mark. And number five, (laughs) 
Love others like you love yourself, right? Love others like you love yourself. Practicing God-centered affirmation consistently requires that our spiritual antennas are up, looking for ways to make much of others. So we look for what God is doing in and through others. But this cannot be done when life's all about me. It can't. They're opposed to each other. The bottom of the page there, you'll see John Piper say this. When our mouths are empty of praise for others, it is probably because our hearts are full of love for self. Well said. Well said. Six, know that God does not exclusively use correction to change others. We've been there before, whether we're the one giving correction, overcorrection, or we've received it. But it can lead to the hearer just signing off and giving up, right? Maybe there's some things we need to confess there and, and turn from and repent of. Proverbs 18:14 says, "A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear?" You know, a child has many faults, immaturities, mistakes, and the crooked does need straightening. <laughs> but think, is my general communication more like a dripping faucet or a cup of refreshing water? Correction is necessary, but affirm God's work of their life regularly in the flow of life. Give hope. And finally, by faith, encourage others with God-centered affirmations today. Go to someone. Encourage them. Yeah, go to that greeter. Go to that usher you saw this morning. Go find Pastor Clay. Uh, yeah, and, and, and say, give them thanks to God, right? Carefully choose your words. Don't make it a long, long, long. Remember we talked about verbosity. Don't make it extended. <laughs> In many words, there's, there's great transgression. Don't do that. But I thank you, brother. I thank you, sister, for God's work in your life. I was greatly encouraged today. I'm encouraged to be more like Christ by your ministry today. You gave me example, an example worthy of following. And I, I thank God for you and what you did for me. And may God use these God-centered affirmations to encourage us to ever grow in Christ-likeness. Remember Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But... Only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let's close in prayer, all right? Father, we're so amazed at things you continue to teach us, Lord. And I look at those here tonight, and I'm just, I learn from these people, these brothers, these sisters in, in Christ. I observe Christ-likeness and in ever-increasing in, uh, progress to our goal to be with you one day and to be just like you. Lord, I, I pray that today's truths would remind us and spur us on and how to encourage and exhort one another to love and good works. And may we do so, Lord, by just seeing evidences of your work in other people's lives and then affirming that, communicating that, encouraging one another. And may all of us just be just motivated, encouraged, exhorted to greater Christ-likeness as we live and serve together in this wonderful fellowship we have here at Timberlake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.